So first and foremost. I think the the addition of pant leggings is really when you start to see your heroes get watered down. Can't even muster the ability to play straight pants that one. Uh, which is a good argument for absolute rulers. Everybody is going to get behind me. They're going to love me. And my support numbers will go through. When you hang out with the hero, it doesn't go well for you. My grandfather yeah. took the cop and just slid it right through the bar. Okay. And that became the dominant way our family did it. Okay. And so, <laughs> in both of my marriages, they were treated to that. Okay, wait, hold on. Yeah, rage haiku. How do you imagine the rubber chicken My grandmother actually vacuumed in her pearls. Oh my god, it all makes sense. We've had the sexual revolution. It yeah. might have just been a Canadian standoff. We're gonna go back to 9 11. Dude, get over it. Mm-hmm. Nobody understands what the building is supposed to be. Agra has no <laughs> business being that thick. <laughs> With the cultists win, we all win. My wife uh, unintentionally revealed to me uh, how much of a geek she actually was uh, before, long before we met. Uh, <clears throat> when she sent me a link uh, to something uh, on on my phone, and she said, um, "I really want to get this," and I heard her say that, and I'm like, "Well, okay." Um, the link hasn't come through on my phone, um, so she resent it. And it was a link to the Nintendo website for the Spyro the Dragon, uh, Spyro Reignited uh, game bundle for the Nintendo Switch. Um, You wouldn't know it to look at her, but my wife has some video games that she truly loved as a kid. And <laughs> these were apparently among them. And so we actually, I, I had to spend a certain amount of time jumping through hoops uh, in order to download them. Um, Nintendo of America, if you're listening to this, uh, the, the user interface uh, to download anything uh, from, the, from the online store on the Switch docks, and you need to fix it. Uh, <laughs> but with that said... Uh, it was totally worth the heartburn uh, involved to to get things set up uh, to see the the grin on her face and hear her uh, giddy cackling uh, as she got to start playing uh, Spyro the Dragon uh, on our Switch this afternoon, which was really nice because um, she's she's been ill 
this week. She's uh, uh, she she has asthma, and um, that means that anytime she gets a cold, it it gravitates to her chest basically instantly. And this time around, uh, we're pretty sure she actually got medical attention just in time to prevent uh, really serious walking pneumonia. Um, but so she's, she's been, she's been laid up. Um, and so seeing her getting to have something that made her that happy, uh, was, was a wonderful moment. So, yeah. Um, and, and again, uh, like I said about my own illness, I think a couple of episodes ago, everybody's been tested. Everybody's negative for COVID. That's not anything going on just to allay anybody's concerns, but, uh, yeah. So she got, she got to, to, restart a video game that she played when she was probably 13 or 14. And um, I haven't said anything to her about it, but there's a part of me that's like, ah, you told me when we met, you weren't a nerd like me, but you are, you're part of the tribe, whether you like it or not. So anyway, that's, that's my heartwarming moment. One of us, one of us. How about you? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a high school U.S. history and Latin teacher up here in Northern California. Uh, and uh, my big news this week is that some friends of mine from uh, Alaska who moved down here um, a while back, they got a house. And uh, very cool. So, yeah, they'd expected to like have to look for a while because the market was doing wacky things. Um, but, uh, they, <laughs> they actually found a house, a good acreage. Like there it's, it's like the Dorothea Puente house. It's got good bones. Okay. Um, okay. so it's, um, it's, <laughs> there you go. <clears throat> it took a second for that it petty did. to drop. Uh, uh for but... those, for those of you who, who are not, uh, uh, familiar with, with Northern California, uh, legend, uh, Dorothea Puente <laughs> was a serial killer um, uh, whose whose backyard uh, contained the bones of I don't remember how many of her lodgers. Many, uh, a great many. So yeah, yeah good bones. I want to say it was indeed. double digits. So <clears throat> yeah, I'm pretty sure you're oh. right. Yeah. So anyway, carry on. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's fine. Uh, so uh, they they've got a nice house. Uh, my girlfriend and I. We went and had dinner with them at their new lodgings, um, and it was it's it just really neat to see. Um, it's similar to uh, the joy I had about seeing you guys move into your place. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, they, I'm, I'm, I don't even know them, and I'm happy for them. That's yeah, awesome. I mean, it's it's really neat. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm very happy. Okay. Um, and so, of course, uh, you, you know, you go to someone's house, you bring a gift, right? First time. Uh huh. So, uh, you know, my partner, she, uh, she, she said, "Well, what should I bring?" I'm like, "You have thousands of succulents that you're always looking to rehome. People need green in their house." There you go. She brought succulents over. It was That's fantastic. Good. It was very well liked. It's good. My gift did not arrive until the next day, and so I just get a text. Oh my god, this is amazing! And then they sent me a picture as well, and I'd ordered them Starfleet coasters. So okay, nice. Yeah. yeah. Like so, uh, so, uh, hopefully cool. actually I, I will have, um, my friend John on this show to explain to us the baseball strike of, of 1995 Ooh. at some point. Cool. So yeah, very I'm cool. Forward to that. All right. Uh, nice. But in the meantime, I got new friends in town, so I'm very happy. Very cool. Yeah. 
So when last we spoke, um, <sighs> I, <laughs> um, I only got three pages further along, by the way, uh, with all of that. <laughs> and nobody patriot really. It's spiritual. Uh-huh. Okay. I'm glad you all got right. some more beer. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I'm and gonna y- need it. You, uh, <laughs> I ended with that final quote by the uh, avowed communist Lindsey Graham. Um, <clears throat> um, yes, yes, that that pillar of Marxist thought. Yes, yeah, uh, Trotsky the, the himself, Trotskyite <laughs> Lindsey Graham. So, Trotsky noted, and hot pants. Noted, noted um, communo anarchist right, Lindsey Graham. Right, yeah, from South Carolina. Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. you know, most of the episode had very little to do with V, other than the fact that this wacky shit was happening right around the same time V came out. Yeah, and so I finished with asking, "What does all this have to do with V?" Tune in next week, right? Well, here we yeah. are it's next week, kind um, of in in the style of the TV show. Yeah. Uh, from, so from here's here's what all of this had to do with V. Okay. Um, you talked about how people would would give themselves permission to believe in the kayfabe that Obama's not one of us. He's a Kenyan, right? Yeah. Um, and at the same time, you cannot deny how slick he is. And you cannot deny that he wanted universal health care. And you cannot deny how media savvy he was. And you cannot deny that he continually makes that claim that he is one of us. And yet people insist that he is not one of us. Yeah. <clears throat> It's very clearly because Obama is a lizard person. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Oh, no, 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 oh, no. no. Yes. You're not bringing up the British guy. What's his name? Ikes. Oh, no. Yeah. But to get there. God, I, there's not enough beer in the world. Well, we're going to have to, you know. So, oh, no. Okay. So, yeah, the most of this will be why Obama is a lizard person. <laughs> And I was, I have been so depressed after writing this podcast that I haven't written any more content for either my classroom lectures or for this podcast. Like, that's how depressing this was. We are going to need to do a palate cleanser of like the best sidekicks or another episode of villains who weren't. Villains who weren't or or assigning Hogwarts houses to people. Yeah. I I don't want to do that anymore. But well, uh, yeah, I mean. Something sadly fluffy yeah that's that's been ruined yeah you know we so, could we could we could arrange another drunk tolkien and have a guest with us this time oh i like this idea i like this already you know, there's any something that like of, makes me think there's good competing. in the world yeah so that i can yeah. finally right. do my magnum opus to the opioid crisis oh let's just not ever do that let's oh, we're going to about for the sake of your mental, into... like as your friend <laughs> yes. i urge you no i know it's but not, it ties please. way too neatly into being human. Oh, so I'm God. Have to. <clears throat> I don't like it either. Okay. I really don't. Um, God damn. I wish this was for money. Yeah. Uh, so boy. so <laughs> Obama is a to work person. on monetizing this to make it worth the psychic <laughs> right. trauma we're suffering. Okay. Uh, so Obama so is a lizard back. person. If yeah. we want to talk about lizard people, we have to go back to kind of the or lizard person creator, Robert E. Howard. Um, I should really do a podcast on him sometime. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> you should do... D- <laughs> virtually in my house. 
right. Oh, wow. <laughs> really? <laughs> so, because this guy might have had some important stuff as a literary figure. I think, you know, there's... What? What? I... <laughs> I'm turning video off because I can't look at you right now. Just me turning redder and like, redder as I laugh. Like, Jesus God. <laughs> you you have nothing but audacity right now in this moment. I certainly don't have oxygen. Jesus, I'm hurting. Uh, well, oh. well, then have the breath you deserve, sir. <laughs> uh, anyway, Robert E. Howard wrote I The Shadow a, Kingdom. I should do a podcast on this game. Screw you. <laughs> it just deserves a deep dive, I think. I just <laughs> but by all means, please enlighten me about Robert E. Howard. Yeah. So he was uh he joined the Navy and wrote Starship Troopers. And uh I'm gonna reach through the screen, <laughs> God help me. He had Conan go to a desert planet and uh yeah, uh, something with oregano. I don't you, remember. So, <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> so he did write the Shadow Kingdom in August of 1929. Um, it was the first of the Cull series. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Cull this, is this a is new territory. Yeah. Right. Cull but... is a barbarian from Atlantis, and he's invited by the Picts, who are ancient enemies of the Atlanteans. To a feast by Kanu the Ancient. Um, he, Kull, is supposed to be assassinated that night in his chambers, but he escapes and foils the attempt, uh, which is made by Chief Counselor 2, T-U. Yeah. But it turns out it's not actually 2. It's a false 2. 2 is an imposter. He's really one of the serpent men. And this is whom Kull vows to hunt down and destroy for good. So... Yep. Serpent men uh, impersonating people in high up positions seeking to destroy the rightful and manly rulers of the realm. Quote, after all, the priests of the serpent went a step further in their magic for all men wore masks and many a different mask with each different man or woman. And Cull wondered if a serpent did not lurk under every mask. Yep. So this is the first that we have of of lizard type people, serpent men. Uh, and of course, because Howard and Lovecraft and Clark Ashton Smith were pals, they helped Lovecraft to develop the very basis for Cthulhu based on the serpent men. Okay. Yeah. In yeah, yeah. in the 1940s, Mike Maurice Dorial, uh, whose real name was Claude Doggins, um, <laughs> he wrote a pamphlet called "The Mysteries of the Gobi." Um, and in it, he described a race of snake men, calling them a serpent race with bodies like a man, but heads like a great snake who could take human form. Uh, they show up again in his poem, The Emerald Tablets, which is similar to the couple on the East Coast who first saw the greys after the episode of Our Outer Limits came out, um, because he seems to have read his Howard or Heinlein, um, uh, the <laughs> Serpent Kingdom story. There's so many similarities, though. So, what between Howard and Heinlein? No, no, no. Between uh, his poem, "The Emerald Tablets," oh, okay. and and the uh, and and the descriptions yeah. of the serpent men by yeah, okay, Howard. yeah. So now, uh, but but this guy with the very creative pseudonym, because who wants to be last name Doggins? Mm -hmm. Um, he was writing this as fiction. It's a good question. He wasn't. 
so he he goes by the name Doriel. So I'm gonna keep okay. calling him that. Unless okay, Doriel. Legal reasons yeah, require yeah, me to do yeah, otherwise. Certainly, certainly. He wasn't what I'd call batshit crazy, um, okay. because I think that's ultimately an insult to guano and its stability. Um, <laughs> okay, he's. <laughs> Oh dear, he's, <laughs> he's living. That doesn't, that doesn't bode well. No, no, because he's he's living in a made up world that absolutely culturally appropriates uh, and and others anything that he perceives as Eastern. He's an Orientalist. Oh no. Okay. He was born in the Oklahoma uh, Oklahoma Territory in 1902. He was the youngest of six kids, and his father Thomas was a farmer and laborer. Alta Bell, his mom didn't have an occupation listed. I did. I dove deep on this guy and it could be that keeping six kids alive would have been her occupation. Yeah. Dor- Dorial uh, at the time called Claude Doggins again. Uh, he moved with his family to Wichita, Kansas, and he and his dad were listed as city landscapers. <clears throat> okay. He didn't get past elementary schooling, although to be fair, most of America didn't get past elementary schooling back then. Yeah. And at 25, so he was born in 1902. It's 1927. Uh, Doggins married Ruth Proctor, age 20, in a Baptist ceremony. And what's interesting here is, is his name goes from Doggins to Dodgin. Hmm. I know. Okay. That is um, interesting. And and print being what it was and, you know, accuracy not necessarily being the most important thing to get out the daily special. But uh, Dodgin uh, married Ruth Proctor, who's five years his younger. Um, they had a son and a daughter by 1930, uh, which okay. was recorded in the census in Wichita. By 1932, they were divorced at a time that you don't divorce often. And by okay, 19- that's telling. Yeah. And by 1933, he was remarried to Margaret Chadwell and they moved to Los Angeles. And by 1937, he was divorced again. Ooh, yes. Now, the census of 1940 had him listed as living in Bancroft, Colorado, and this census was given by his third wife, Sonia, which is pretty normal, I guess, until you ask him about any of it. So buckle in, because this is going to be a ride. Um, When he was known as Maurice Doriel, he claimed both Choctaw heritage and service with the U.S. Army Signal Corps. Neither of these things is verifiable. Though his education ended by fifth grade, according to Doriel himself, he had his first encounter with an ascended master at age three and another another at age 12. So don't worry about the formal education. He's got ascended masters. Oh, dear. Okay. Yeah. Doriel also said that he'd retained the experiences of previous incarnations so well that he didn't need to be taught anything by the time he emerged as Claude D. Dodgen. Here's a quote. When I was born into this life, I had a full and complete memory of my past lives and incarnations, and I never had to study over again the forgotten things that most of us do. I did not have to learn to read and write. I did not have to learn mathematics or physics or chemistry or anything else, because in the past, I had acquired that knowledge and had retained my attainments of the past. Which is pretty cool, considering what a low profile he kept. That was nice of him. Um. Still, in 1925, he did receive a supernatural invitation to Calcutta, where he was then guided to Darjeeling, and from there to secret underground kingdom in Tibet, where the ascended masters and, quote, great adepts had their headquarters, which is pretty good for a city landscaper of Wichita. Okay, so quick 
Quick question. Sure. So he was born in 02. Yes, sir. And he's saying all this this quote mm-hmm. that you're that you're quoting from mm-hmm. was taken when? Uh I think it's in the late thirties, early forties. Late thirties, okay. Yeah. So he's speaking. So about Okay. Yeah. So he was he was too young to have been uh drafted for World War One. Right. He could have lied about his age 12. like so many other authors. Okay. Did. But he did not. But I'm hearing mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that is very clearly influenced mm-hmm. by the mysticism yes. and kind of proto counterculture that existed post World War One. Yeah, I am mean, I, a lot of people making, like it was making like that up. Or it was the I... rebirth of mediums and shit. Remember, like after the <clears throat> Civil War, it got real big. Yeah, and, then and after World well, War One, it got real big. And I'm yeah. trying to remember, but this is also a period of time when the Hermetic Order, the Golden Dawn, Yates and mm-hmm. um, Alistair Crowley, and it's, all it's of that little... stuff is going on. If I'm yeah, and and is Sir that... Arthur Conan Doyle okay. had been doing stuff. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Right. So it's pretty neat that despite all of this vast knowledge, he kept a low profile. Still in 1925. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, no, I already said that. So he spends three years studying um, from 1925 to 28, I guess, learning everything that he needed in order to become the anointed representative of the Great White Lodge and to set up the Brotherhood of the White Temple. Huh. Huh. He didn't do any of He's this. He's saying the quiet part out loud with that, isn't he? <laughs> and here's the thing. What, what's Great so White cool Lodge. about him is that you know him going from Calcutta to Darjeeling to the underground Tibetan kingdom and all of that and all of that studying he didn't have to do it on the physical plane um at all mm. his passport lacks the required stampage to show such travels actually <laughs> well he did of all course, of this astrally yes well yeah. i mean duh i mean yeah, come and- on I don't know what the time conversion is when you go from physical to astral either. So it could be that a mere three years that he spent were actually 99 to the rest of us. I don't know. Um, it's, yeah, it's possible. So there, so there weren't any complaints in Wichita about his landscaping at the time. So, okay, well, good. Yeah. So just as a question, mm-hmm. um, because of the time period when he was making these claims. Yes. Um, does does the context of him making these claims mm-hmm. lead you to believe this was all a grift or or was he in fact drinking his own Kool-Aid? I mean they're not mutually I think, exclusive, yeah, but you get say, you get what I'm trying to ask. Yeah, for a good grift to work, you need to believe your own K Fabe. I think yeah. I'll put it this way. Um I think that his wife didn't buy into it. <laughs> okay because they divorced yeah okay. i also think that he wasn't very good at it because they divorced fair enough so and okay. despite the fact that he's an anointed something or other um during his first marriage um yeah great booba yeah uh yeah. Dodgen worked as a clerk a cab driver and a salesman for the kansas brokerage company and later as a department store salesman now he and his first wife, Ruth, divorced. She took another husband who adopted his kids as their own um, and raised them in a very sadly normal life. Meanwhile, Claude, 
was listed in the 1933 Oklahoma directory in 1933 as the president of the Brotherhood of the White Temple. And his second marriage license also lists his name as Dodgen. Now, in L.A., his problems were multiple. His wife called him out for adultery in court for their divorce, which there was no no no-fault divorce back then. So you had to to have a reason. Yeah. Um, And he complained that she denounced him in front of his disciples. So clearly their differences are irreconcilable. In the 1940 census report that his Mm. third wife filled out, Sonia, Dr. C.D. Dodgen was described as a traveling minister who had been, quote, a transient across country, no place of residence, and had somehow found the time to get four years of college learning in. The Brotherhood of the White Temple was officially incorporated in Denver on April 11th, 1942, as a religious organization whose stated goal was, quote, to impart religious instruction to its members and to all the others who may be interested in its doctrines and teachings. He was one of the three founders. Hey. Now, from there, he begins to publish, so to speak, um, the Brotherhood <laughs> of the White <laughs> uh, Yeah, okay. Words so are to speak. I love that. Yeah, okay. Um, the, the Brotherhood of the White Temple started sending out stapled type cheap paper booklets written by Maurice Doriel, Dr. Doriel, or simple, simply Doriel. Uh, it didn't take much creativity as he'd simply transcribed the work that he channeled uh, by, from the denizens of Atlantis, like you do. So it's just, I mean, you know, obviously, yeah, yeah. 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 Why, why not? You have this whole astral staff. You might as well yeah. um, knock some bodies down with it. Right? Yeah. yeah. You know, um, Doriel's booklets divided into two lines, essentially. One was an informational series for the general public, which was available at an individual cost of between 25 cents to a dollar, which outlined various mm-hmm. esoteric beliefs. Okay. Or, wait a minute. Wait, oh, yes. wait, 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 wait. Did I bury 1940 the what now? 42. And he's charging between twenty five cents and a dollar in nineteen forty two. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just, that's you know. that's. I mean, I don't know strict, strict. You know, uh, uh, well, I mean, he's uh, got the market cornered on channeled Atlantean texts. I think is yeah. Thing. I really um, want to know at that market, price how many market. copies he sold. Like, I, I would like to know that too, because because twenty five yeah. cents could buy you a, a pretty good meal. It could it at that time. Could. That's yeah. that's that's dinner out. Mm-hmm. Right. There. Yeah, it's uh, at least two and a half hours of work too. Yeah, like, like holy shit. Okay. Yeah. Or you could buy a teaching series that was designed for neophytes uh, and enrolled paying students of the Brotherhood's Correspondence School. So there's a couple ways you could go. You could do the Correspondence School. Okay. Yeah. I. <laughs> no notes. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. All right. And and this correspondence school seems patterned after the ancient mystical order Rosi Crucis, which was started by Harvey Spencer Lewis, also known as Sar Alden, in 1915. Do you mean the Rosicrucians? What well, was the mystical order Rosi Crucis? Crucis. Crucis. Yeah. yeah. It was okay. different. different. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Doriel also seemed to directly channel or plagiarize i like yeah and, astral plagiarism um depending <laughs> on your definitions um he he seemed to directly ch- channel helena blavatsky madame blavatsky you know her yeah i'm familiar with the name she's the founder of theosophy 
Yeah. Yeah. And she is, oh my God, she's like, I don't like to advertise other podcasts that we haven't had the guests on yet. Yeah. But uh, there was just like a three part series over on um, uh, Behind the Bastards about Madame Blavatsky. She <laughs> is something. Uh, yeah. Yeah, she is. Okay. Now, in Mysteries of the Gobi, Doriel explained that, quote, Gobians, unquote, were the real Hebrews who became priests to the Jews. But they were not Jews themselves because, quote, Jesus was not of the Jewish race. Oh, God. But Almighty. He, was, he was descended from the Gobians, who all had fair skin, blue eyes, and red or blonde hair. There's this. I can't form words. There's this whole fucking weird thing that happens where it's this Aryanization of things. And it's okay that it's Aryan because they they came down from above Mongolia down through the Gobi Desert to where Aryans are in India. And that's really the Jesus. So, yeah. So what what I find what I find interesting Mm. Interesting is the word I'm going to use because I don't know. I don't know what synonym. Yeah. Weird (laughs) would be the other word for it. Yeah. Is is all of all of these all of these these conspiracy theories that that put forward this idea of you know white people coming out of Mongolia, right? Right. And and they are legion. What I what what is what is truly like mind bending to me. Mm-hmm. is that they they when they came up with these ideas when yeah. when these when these when these things were thought up it was well you know maybe they came from you know this part of the orient because we're essentially orientalist yes you know and and we have we have this weird exoticization of of that but part of the world also but it's this area that, yeah but also anti-semitic it has to be anti-Semitic, and and we have, uh, like we know nothing about you know because this is this this howling wilderness part of the world, right? Sure. Um, even though there's hella people there, even though there's hella people there, yeah. But but to the perception of the people writing this shit, it's this you know empty vast wasteland. The yeah. thing is, in northern China, Mongolia, like th- these these folks fell backwards into. A compelling historical fact, which is that sometime during the very, very early Iron Age, if I'm remembering correctly, um, there was some fair-haired population of people, mm-hmm. the ancestors of the Scythians, basically, that we found their mummies mm-hmm. in that part of the world. And it's like because you were trying to be racist or you were trying to justify your racism, you stumbled backwards into an actual fascinating, you know, clue to human migration and, and, you know, cultural history. And the worst part of it is that because of that, yeah, those discoveries then legitimize the rest of their bullshit. Right. That becomes the in in many ways, I don't think they fell over backwards so much as they found the one thing and clung so hard to that. That they built everything Mm. around it. Okay, fair. It was the kernel around which they built the rest of the popcorn. So, okay. 
So uh, Doriel really got into the idea of nuclear things in the 1940s, like you do, uh, but not yeah, because well, okay. of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It was because of an experience years prior to the advent of nuclear weapons. You see, he says, quote, I saw atomic energy at work several years ago when the Dalai Lama of Tibet ushered me into the Great White Lodge 75 miles below the Himalayas. Okay, yeah. continue. Yeah. I'm I'm intrigued. Carry on. You have sure. my attention. In 1948, it was clear to Doriel that the Serpent People had replaced Joseph Stalin and, quote, now the Supreme Council of the Soviet is controlled by beings far wiser than they appear. And then he began to advertise his ashram in Colorado for nuclear survival. For just $500, you could buy your way in. And if nuclear war didn't actually hit, Doriel said that the community could become a summer resort. So it's a win-win situation. Okay. So the ashram grew to about 800 people, as one would expect. <laughs> what? I love, I love this is video for us. <laughs> what? Eight hundred people. Yeah. Um. This 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 mm -hmm. un unroasted wingnut. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I ascended master, but close enough. Yeah. No, 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 <laughs> no. I'm sorry. No, no. Do you do you have documentation? Is there an apostolic history with documentation? I'm Catholic for well, fuck's sake. I didn't sake. have, have the 25 record. cents to like, buy the pamphlet, so I don't know. Well, okay, no. You, it could you, have been. You, yeah. you, you, as you so love to point out, are even younger than me, so it wouldn't have been 25 cents by the time you'd have been buying it. That's a good point. It'd have been like 12 bucks. Yeah, So That's true. That's true. No. So uh, <laughs> they all stopped talking to the press in 1953, which is totally normal and okay. Um, the voice, according to Doriel, oh, quote, no. has issued orders that no outsiders are permitted to enter the valley except necessary workmen. So, 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 so he said that in 1953. Yes. And, and we know that they started stockpiling weapons at what point in 1952? <laughs> so <laughs> the Gobi pamphlet, because <laughs> we've seen this pattern before and it doesn't end well. No, no, it doesn't. Okay. So the Gobi pamphlet, as well as the Emerald Tablet stuff, it, it's it's a fun, easy read. It's also deeply racist, orientalist, and filled with all the mumbo-jumbo that you'd expect of a mysticism-based guy from the 1940s who ran his own temple. Yeah. Um, in it, Thoth, the, Atlantic, the Atlantean priest king, uh, tells how he ruled and whatnot, which is totally a ripoff of Howard's serpent race and their history. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah. In May of 1982... So we're going to fast oh, forward just a little bit. Oh, no. John Milius's Conan the Barbarian released into oh, theaters. Yes. Which featured Falsa Doom, the yes. snake priest who had changed his shape and was in charge and seduced royal children and ran one hell of a cult. Yeah. A Pretty year awesome later. Cult, actually, I got to say. Yeah. Like cool okay. clothes, you know, um, some very gender fluid people that, you know, Unfortunately, okay. they were priests, so it was kind of pushing that button. But yeah, other no. than that, pretty cool. You know. Um, really cool iconography, nice yeah. heraldry, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. New, Good. new. As cults go. How a, yeah. New, new yeah. how to put the program together. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that uh, uh, that that sh that movie 
came out almost to the yeah. day one year before the the miniseries came out which was all about reptilian people who saw it a fascist lizard nazi takeover of the rest of us are you seeing a pattern yeah yeah that, i that, i am that poem about thoth which is called the emerald tablets which yeah. i read which reinforced my dislike of poetry. Um, <laughs> Thank you for doing that. So the rest sure. of us don't have to. You're welcome. Ugh, the, the lists that I'm probably on now. Um, <laughs> oh, come on. You've been on those with the research. You've done for this true. podcast. You've yeah. been on those lists for yeah. a while. Don't don't. Yeah. So yeah. that was the basis for David <laughs> Icke's book. Icke, Ike, Icke. Icke. I, I, I think it's I Ike. I think it's okay. Ike. Um, anyway, I'm going to say Ike because my friend okay. who came to pick up peaches, she told me it was Ike, I believe. Um, anyway, okay. David Ike's book, Children of the Matrix, which he'd finished in 2001. David, oh, and I even wrote a pronunciation guide in for me. It's it's pronounced Ike. Um, so David Ike is an English board born goaltender and sports broadcaster. And sadly for him and for the rest of the world, his rheumatoid arthritis forced him to retire by 21. As a result, he dipped into sports broadcasting, which is fine, right? But yeah. it ended up making him a household name to a lot of households because of how many different things he ended up covering. Now, because of his arthritis, Ike ended up looking into alternative medicines. Makes sense. He also took a stand against Margaret Thatcher and then ended up losing his job broadcast, uh, his broadcast job as a result. So far, okay. liking the guy. All right. yeah. yeah. I like Ike. However... This combination wasn't a good one. Him having no job and and setting himself against those in power uh, led him at first to joining the Green Party, which is cool. And it was concerned about the environment. But by 1989, a time of his, of self-reported tremendous despair, Ike started feeling a presence around him. And by this point, he was also the spokesman for the Green Party. Now, because of this presence that he felt, he was pulled to a book by Betty Shine a psychic healer whom he ended up seeing four times for his arthritis. But on his fourth visit, now 1990, Betty Shine told David Icke that he was going to heal the earth and that he was going to face opposition but would become famous and that Wang Yi Li from the spirit world would channel through him. A trip to Peru led him to having a spiritual awakening of his kundalini and activating all of his chakras. So he's just, he's just, Picking from all over the, yeah. all over the woo-woo spectrum yep. of of okay. appropriating as he goes. Oh like, yeah, like a ball of play-doh with hair in it, and also <laughs> the odd color. Yeah, yeah. After this, uh, David Ike went full into channeling spirits and wearing a lot of turquoise. Uh, this also led to him writing about different things that he, uh, that he, that was like ecological in its politics. Mm. Um. He wrote The Truth Vibrations in 1991. Uh, there's so much shit in here about his personal life, the the thruple that he became a part of, the fact that his wife was now an aspect of the Archangel Michael and his predictions of the world ending in 1997. <laughs> okay, wait. Um, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you throw all this stuff out and you never know which part of it is, is going to, you know, catch me like, right. like a largemouth bass. Right. So, so his, 
like okay thruple all right cool yeah. whatever cool. that's great you but you know you. you do you everybody's yeah. if as long as everybody's adult consenting that's cool yep. but his wife <clears throat> mm-hmm. being an aspect of the archangel michael you yes. said yes so question um okay. he he clearly is putting that forward is this something his his wife actually believed or like did okay <laughs> Okay, go back okay. to kayfabe okay all right just like you know because because on the one hand like you know him him saying i am channeling Huangzi lee right i am yep. i am this you know mystic you know uh mm-hmm. what whatever I'm, I'm i'm connected to you know the count of monte cristo I'm, I'm trying to think there was some channeler in the 80s that was some who was i'm now anyway you know mm-hmm. channelers mystics whatever like okay that's fine but like okay hold on your your wife is like one degree of separation from from all of this and you're saying right. like she's no it's not me my old lady right is is michael an aspect of the archangel michael yes which is an interesting choice yeah because he's a specifically fighter. michael yeah because yeah so okay all right yeah. anyway carry on so just had to yeah. check in on that one Okay. Now, once he got into writing his New Age stuff, a lot of things started see, uh, seeping in. Lots and lots of channeling, right? So, again, more astral plagiarism. Um, he even wrote about it in in his uh, in Love Changes Everything in 1992, which had lots of theosophy and claimed that Jesus um, was for the New Age folks now and, and a lot more channeling. Um, now, I've mentioned theosophy twice. Uh, so just real quick, theosophy got started in the 1800s by... Madame Blavatsky, Helena Blavatsky, uh, in the United States in 1875. Um, at its core, theosophy is the belief that there is an ancient and secretive brotherhood uh, of spiritual adepts known as the Masters, who, although found all around the world, are centered in Tibet. Uh, think like Taj and Doctor Strange. Okay, that's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now these Masters, uh, which, by the way, you know, <laughs> in the 70s. That's when Doctor Strange really gets going. Yeah. Um, now these masters are masters are alleged <clears throat> by Blavatsky to have cultivated great wisdom and supernatural powers. There's a single divine absolute, and the masters are attempting to revive the knowledge of an ancient religion once found around the world, and which will again come to eclipse the existing world religions. So, in other words, we're all like broken shards of a hologram that used to be a much more unified picture yeah. since most religions yeah, yeah. are, Hey, don't be a dick. Um, you know, by the way, there's yeah. other people over there who are dicks. You should kill them because <laughs> you know, you shouldn't be a dick. Like most of them basically say the same thing. They just have different ways of getting to it. So of course this American uh, who actually, she was from Eastern Russia or Western Russia rather um, and then she came over here. I think she was uh, mm. kind of a semi middle class family, but she came over here. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, you know, of course, she figured it all out, you know, like like you do. It's it's yeah. always. Well, yeah, it's always, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're going to eclipse existing world religions, reunify. Also, the purpose of human life is spiritual emancipation and the human soul uh, will reincarnate due to karma. So pretty cool stuff. Uh, it also promotes values of universal brotherhood and social improvements. Uh, although it specifically does not stipulate particular ethical codes. So that can be kind of up to the individual culture, which, all right, cool. Okay. Um, that's the very 
palatable version of it. There's some real serious proto Nazi shit that ends up getting in there. Mm, uh huh. Yeah. Um, and of course, it it feeds into because education. there always is like yeah, and it feeds into education movements like the Waldorf movement. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now, of course, after Blavatsky died in the 1890s, there was a schism. And with the <laughs> Loma Land folks going to San Diego and the Ader folks going to England, um, th- then you start to see it all decline uh, through the next century. And um, then you actually lead to, yeah. I don't remember her name. I talked about her in a previous episode, but mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, aliens, uh, aliens have made contact with us. And, you know, uh, part of the part of the UFO culture mm-hmm. uh, who who, you know, looked like Glinda the Good uh, on on public access TV. Oh, right. uh, her her movement. Right. Is is directly descended. Oh, yeah. You draw <laughs> like you're, you're saying you're saying yeah. everything. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. saying everything you're saying. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that's 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 her. Mm-hmm. That's them. And I and- I'm blanking on the name of the movement. But yeah. Yeah. Now, there's a lot more meat on that bone, but that's basically the gist of, yeah. of right. Theosophy. Okay, so the yeah. final book that Ike wrote for his publishers was The Robot's <laughs> Rebellion. <laughs> for yeah. his publisher. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. boy. That's after, telling. After The Robot's Rebellion, uh, his publisher stopped working with him, and Ike started self-publishing. Now, he's, again, a household name. He has the power and the gravitas to do this. Um, now, The Robot's Rebellion was written in 1984. Um and it was not even overtones or undertones when it came to its anti-Semitism. Wait, 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 84 or 94? Uh, 94, I apologize. Okay. Right. Um, so the anti-Semitism was the only tone in this book. There was no over-undertone. There was just the tone of anti-Semitism. Just straight up. Yeah. Yeah, okay. There was a plan set into motion by a cabal of elite shadowy folks who wanted to dominate the world using international banking. Why can't any of these people come up with their own shit? Well, because you why? know the channel spirits. And no, it's all the yeah. same spirits. Here's here's an idea. What if it actually is happening? There are actually spirit channelings happening, but the only one who actually cares yeah. enough to talk to us to these chan- these channelers are just the shittiest spirits. And all the rest are like, why are you even fucking why, with these people? Why are you doing this? Yeah. Right. And and <laughs> and now so, and now I want to write like a microfic for Reddit. Right. Like, based on that premise. Yeah. Like, no, 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 they really are channeling spirits. It's just it's one guy. And yeah. all the other spirits are like, like, Jack, why the fuck? Right. Why are you why are you doing this? Why? Because these guys are assholes. No one's gonna listen to them. <laughs> all right. Do, do you see? <laughs> So, so yeah, international mm. banking, and they yeah. might have been extraterrestrial, or at least they worked with aliens. But it was probably what was planned in the protocols of the elders of Zion. No, oh, Jesus God! You will remember that the protocols of the elders of Zion was first published in Russia in 1903. <sighs> However, the protocols of the elders of Zion was actually a conglomeration of several other anti-Semitic texts from previous times. One of the most From important pogroms. ones. Yeah. Well, oh. it led to those. Yes. Yeah. Well, it um, was justification but, for them. Exactly. Um, but one of the most important sources for the Protocols of the Hilders of Zion was a parody of Jewish idealism that was denigrated, was denigrating a Russian Zionist Congress in September of 1902. This parody was then cleaned up 
you know, take all the haha out uh, by bad actors who wanted to shift it from being an internal anti-Semitic joke to make it seem real and serious. So, ha, that, that's pretty funny. But what if it was kayfabe? Mm. Thus, the initial publisher, a Pavel uh, Khrushchevin, uh, was able to falsify and forge a joke into a real hoax that aimed focused anti-Semitism for generations to come. <sighs> the Protocols of the Elders of Zion was a fake from the jump, but Ike is taking it as though it's true. He's taking it as being true and that it's also revealed an ancient knowledge. We'll just add some aliens in there. But it's well, okay it's because because I mean look at look at his look at his twist look at his mm-hmm. pathology yeah for lack of a better word mm-hmm. you know the the guy is trying to find an explanation for why he didn't wind up having the life he expected he was going to have that's exactly right. So he's so he is so he is 110% motivated to find an explanation of what went wrong and an explanation for way too many people gravitates to whose fault is it because yeah. it is doesn't... comforting yes on on a on a weird level on a weird level for people who are prone to conspiratorial thinking it is more comforting to think that there is some group of people who are secretly in charge doing evil things Mm -hmm. than it is to think that, well, the world is a chaotic and scary fucking place. And random bad shit happens. And random bad shit happens. You, you, You got stuck losing the genetic lottery and you got arthritis Mm -hmm. at 21. Yeah. And I, I, that sucks. I would go one step further too, is that it is an easier hit to stay angry at a group than it is to do the hard work of healing and accepting that you didn't get your way and it hurts. Yes. So bingo now. And yeah. Yeah. And, and that, and that is his microcosm Mm -hmm. then turns into as above, so below Right. <laughs> I can do mysticism too. Right. Um that that then leads to th- the motivation of of everybody who who gravitates to everything he's saying because yes. they're gravitating to his damage because they 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 resonate with that emotionally. They're aggrieved. Yes. At the end of the day they are aggrieved. They they yeah. want to feel superior and they feel aggrieved. So now um, Ike is taking the protocols as being true, ancient, revealed knowledge. And even beyond that, the robot's rebellion is actually cribbing from a guy named Milton Williams Cooper, who's another shitty human being who dealt in conspiracy <laughs> theories. Cooper wrote Behold a Pale Horse in 1991. You might know that title. Um, it was very influential amongst UFO enthusiasts. And of mm-hmm. course, in Behold a Pale Horse, Cooper, uh, William or Milton William Cooper outlined an elaborate conspiracy theory that stretched from the Kennedy assassination, the doings of the secret world government, the coming of I- uh, the coming ice age, 
all the way up to covert activities associated with the Illuminati's declaration of war upon the people of America specifically. And it was a big hit, especially with militia folks, which is just totally awesome and won't go wrong at all. Yeah, you keep insisting on making statements like that at the tail end of these things. Yeah, and like you're not fooling anybody. I just want to reassure <laughs> like, you. No, you know. OK, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> like, no, this is going to go terribly, terribly wrong. Yes, there is yes, no good. No good is coming out of any of this. OK, well, so Milton William Cooper <sighs> claimed to have served in naval intelligence. But the public records have him. I looked this shit up. He the best that I could find was that he was a petty officer who earned two service medals during the Vietnam War. Uh, he earned the Navy Commendation Medal with a V and the Navy Achievement Award also with a V, both in 1969. He claimed to be okay. part of a team that briefed an admiral, although, again, records don't show this. So did records show anything about what his rating was? Petty, officer. petty officers is right well petty officers is rank mm-hmm. his rating was his job in the that Navy. i could not find rating okay. yeah yeah so anyway after his discharge cooper goes on to a junior college in california for a bit and begins disseminating conspiracy theories by 1988 mm. he got onto a bbs remember bbs's mm-hmm. He got into a BBS in the Bay Area that talked about UFOs and conspiracies and began puffing up his own story. This leads him, William, uh, or I'm sorry, um, Milton William Cooper, uh, leads, uh, he he hooks up with Bill Lear, who was the son of the inventor of the Learjet, who claimed to be a CIA pilot and wrote a post detailing, a post on a BBS detailing UFO cover-ups by parroting what another ufologist was putting out there and just beefing that up a bit. And this turned out to be disinformation that the CIA had actually been feeding to folks for reasons that I could not find. But given the timing, given uh, I, I reckon that it kept folks from looking too closely into the drug trafficking that was coming back into the country. Yeah, okay, there you go. Anyway. Ah, damn it. <laughs> Cooper and Lear became the Lennon and McCartney of ufologists, pushing the idea that it wasn't the aliens who were the problem, it was the government trying to cover it up. So, Milton William Cooper rode a pale horse in 1991, which was hugely yep. influential to such explosive thinkers as Terry Nichols. Oh, no. Fuck, really? Yep. And this same book is what Ike was cribbing in 1994 with the Robots Rebellion. Now, you just know, so I, you know, yeah. No. Well, I was just going to say, um, <clears throat> I don't remember which of Ike's books it was, mm-hmm. but I remember as a freshman in college. So this would have been in the fall of 93. Mm-hmm. Um, not having anything to do in the afternoon after classes were over, I wound up going into the Walden books, mm-hmm. which, you know, dating this reference pretty, yeah. pretty heavily. Right next to uh, KB Toys. Yeah. <laughs> down <laughs> down the hall from it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh in the in the university mall in in Davis. And I remember um I was I was trying to find a, a science fiction book to to read you know and and somehow uh not not entirely inappropriately one of one of ike's books had had wound up on the science fiction shelf mm-hmm. and i remember looking at the back jacket blurb and as a 19 year old college freshman i remember thinking 
what a load of horse shit. <laughs> like, well, it is like, science fiction. Does, so. does this guy? Well, but but like, I mean, you you can tell when somebody is is you know trying to pass something off. It's like, no, no, no. This is the truth, right? Right. Not not this is not being presented as you know. Read read this adventure story about this guy fighting against snake headed aliens. No, no. This <laughs> this was clearly. If this guy didn't believe his bullshit, he he was trying to convince other people he did. And and I just remember looking at it like, who in their right mind? Mm-hmm. You know, and and sadly, mm-hmm. you know, that was half my life ago. I now have enough life experience under my belt to understand that there are an awful lot of people who who would in fact look at that and and nod along emphatically yeah Yeah. so yeah so william cooper's life doesn't go well from here by the way he gets more and more into spreading his word and he broadcasts a radio show by selling cassettes among his admirers were timothy mcveigh for his work on the waco siege cooper was also (laughs) an early guest on the alex jones show And by the late 1990s, he'd moved away from ufology and the like and ended up really finding his feet amongst the militia movements. In July 1998, a warrant was issued for his arrest due to tax evasion. And due to that and an ongoing issue with aggravated assault issues with his neighbors, the Apache County sheriffs went to his Arizona home to arrest him. A gunfight ensued wherein he shot a deputy in the head and he himself was shot shot fatally at 58. But back to Robots Rebellion, because yes. Ike lived. Um, Ike cribbed it from Cooper's book, where whereas Cooper dedicated a whole chapter to the protocols, Ike called them the Illuminati protocols. Because obviously. Right. And he called the Illuminati a, quote, brotherhood of elite at the top of the pyramid of secret societies worldwide. End quote. Ike refused refuses to admit that the protocols are fake or are anti-Semitic. And he says it's Zionist and that whoever wrote it, ignoring the fact that it's faked, quote, knew the game plan, end quote, for the 20th and 21st centuries. In his own words, Ike says, I strongly believe that this this is Ike, not me. Um, I strongly (laughs) believe. (laughs) Good. Good to make that explicitly stated. Yeah. Yeah. I strongly believes that, quote. A small Jewish clique which has contempt for the mass of Jewish people worked with non-Jews to create the First World War, the Russian Revolution, and the Second World War. They then dominated the Versailles Peace Conference and created the circumstances which made the Second World War inevitable. They financed Hitler to power in 1933 and made the funds available for his rearmament. Sound like a, a watchmaker that we've heard of? Yeah. Yeah. Now, Ike also responds to not being, uh, how to put, he responds to claims that he's anti-Semitic by saying he's not. Here's what he says, quote, the appearance of the unseen in the Middle East 6,000 years ago seems to be no coincidence. And it's little wonder that Ike's, oh, I'm sorry, this is, uh, this is somebody named Michael Marshall who's talking about him. Um, said the appearance of the unseen in the Middle East uh, 6,000 years ago seems to be no coincidence, and it's little wonder that Ike's work is so often accused of anti-Semitism. However, if we were to accept that Ike himself does not hold such views and that his work is merely co-opted by groups who undeniably are anti-Semitic, 
We also have to acknowledge that Ike often does his case no favors. It's a gentleman named Michael Marshall who uh, has, has spilled a lot of ink about Ike. Charles Leandri's Rothschild cartoon from 1898 shows that since at least that long, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories have been depicting Jews as lizards, and Ike is definitely influenced by them. And what's wild is that the protocols were disproven as early as 1920 and 1921 by two different folks working on it separately from each other. Lucian Wolf of England was an anti-Zionist Jewish history enthusiast who thought that assimilation was the way to go. He was British, after all. Uh, he stood staunchly against the Balfour Declaration. He helped draft the minority treaties at the Treaty of Versailles. He wrote the Jewish bogey and the forged protocols of the learned elders of Zion for the London Times in 1920, disproving the elders of Zion so well that everyone ignored the shit out of his work because they'd rather believe it was fake or they'd rather believe a fake. Yeah. Uh, Phil Philip Percival Graves of Ireland did the same thing in 1921. He wrote for the Times in Constantinople, was a famous entomologist. And was the son of the brother to uh, son and brother to famous famous Irish poets, and he absolutely disproved the protocols while writing for the Times in Constantinople, and this mattered as much as Wolf's work did. So, remember what we said last week about uh, you know there are a lot of people who could easily disprove all of this bullshit, mm. but they would do better to attack the people promoting the bullshit instead of the subject matter. Turns yeah. out what's new is not new no so the overlap of the ufo folks the new age folks and the folks who are willing to believe that the protocols of the elders of zion is a vast overlap and this brings us to william guy carr by the way it's interesting to me how many of these uh this ties back to britain because if you go all the way back to the first episode that we talked about remember mm -hmm. uh thompson yeah. now carr was a british-born canadian navigating officer aboard a submarine during world war one and it's always interesting to me how many of these guys start off as specifically naval folks. Anyway, he wrote a few books about being on submarines between the wars, and then he went on to be an intelligence officer for Canada during World War II, during which time he wrote a book about a Nazi invasion of our hemisphere centered uh, Happy Valley Goose Bay in, its, in Newfoundland, centered in that area. Okay, So you go to Happy Valley Goose Bay in Newfoundland, and... That's where the invasion is supposed to start. And I think it's because everyone wants someplace to be special. Yeah. Now, his activity, his being Carr's, Carr's activity uh, between the world wars was already keening anti-Semitic when in 1931, he hosted conferences about the Illuminati. And he hosted conferences about the two main families controlling the world, the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds. <sighs> And of course, once Carr retired from military service and moonlighting in the 1950s, uh, he went full bore conspiracy theorist. See, this is why you need therapy normalized, because you have this guy who spent all this time aboard a very dangerous type of new boat in World War One. And look what <laughs> fucking happened. <laughs> look at what this <laughs> generation did without it. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, no, you're preaching in the choir on that yeah. one. So Carr wrote Pawns in the Game and Red River Fog, both in 1955. Political Research Associates characterizes his books thusly. Quote, Carr believes that an age-old Jewish Illuminati banking conspiracy used radio-transmitted mind control on behalf of Lucifer to construct a one-world government. Okay, um, wait. Yeah, you have to stop me there, I know. 
I, <laughs> there's a yeah, lot. Like there's a lot. Like, there. Okay, wait. Okay, no. hold on. A a okay. So so the Jewish international banking conspiracy. Yeah. Okay. That's that's. Yep. Used old radio ground. transmitted mind control. Radio. Yeah. Okay. It was the fifties. Like yep. you know whatever. Oh, fine. On behalf of it, Lucifer. That's where I I wanted to like. Okay, that's new. That's yeah. that's like previously we have races of lizard people. Right. We have we have you know anti-Semitism like yep. everywhere. We have like all of those other elements. This is the first time mm-hmm. that Shaitan, the great enemy prosecutor, right, fallen angel. Yeah. This is the first place I've I've heard any of that shit come up. Mm-hmm. So like, was this was this a novel? Uh, uh, introduction on his part, or or I think you what's know what the I historiography think of blaming the devil? Well, okay, in this so in this realm, I would say this: Have you ever had a salami sandwich? Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, okay. Have you ever had it with Swiss cheese? Maybe. Okay. Don't know. Pretty common. Pretty standard. Okay, yeah. All but right. there are people who have had salami sandwiches without Swiss cheese. Yeah. Okay. And then once you suggest switch Swiss cheese to them, they're like, "Oh fuck, that'd be good." Yeah. yeah and it's been sitting okay. there on the table the whole time. Okay. <laughs> I mean, right. if you're gonna go anti-Semitic, <laughs> aren't you gonna also include blood libel? Aren't you gonna include that they work for Satan? Yeah. Okay. All right. That That's that makes Swiss sense. Cheese. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that. Okay. I I see. I see. I get your analogy now disturbing isn't it <laughs> it's just deeply deeply goddamn yeah. troubling yeah yes the, the fact that i mean it's, it's just salami it's just and been, swiss cheese yeah it's just been sitting on the table there yeah. right yeah and uh, and yeah the clearly not kosher yeah um yep. example and yet holy in the context mm-hmm. of this of this uh conversation <laughs> so i'm gonna i'm gonna continue the okay. quote yeah because <laughs> we only got Sorry. the first yeah. part <laughs> which i knew i even have a part pause for ed yeah. Um <laughs> well, so, you know, yeah. Just to Carry catch on. you up, the yeah. Jewish Illuminati banking conspiracy <laughs> used radio transmitted mind control on behalf of Lucifer to construct a one world government. The secret nexus of the plot was supposedly the international Bilderberger meetings on the banking policy. End quote. You you could supply it's a mad lib a, of what the fuck. But <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> that is so bad shit. Yes, there like, is. There is. This so is why much, I said that's an insult so... to the stability of guano, which is used <laughs> to make nitroglycerin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say you. There is so much. There is so much bat shit. Yes. Just in the first half of that quote, and then you carry on with the rest of it. But there is so much bat shit there that you could supply a mm-hmm. a a battalion of fifth level D and D wizards. Yes. To, to cast fireball for a week. Oh yeah. Every round. Mm-hmm. Every every six seconds for a week. Yeah, it's kind of like when somebody says in like, that in that quote. It's like, like if somebody says, if you made fifty thousand dollars every day of your life, yeah, from the time the first pyramid was constructed until yeah. today, you still wouldn't have what Bezos has. Yeah. It's like yeah. that. It's yeah. like yeah. there's Bezos level bad shit going yes. on there. <laughs> so the basic gist of his conspiracies was that uh, World War One was fomented by atheists to topple the Russian czar in order to turn Russia into a haven and charging station for atheists to topple the world's religions. 
and World War One was because Zionists sought to destroy Nazism. So they made the world fight a war. To, I'm sorry, World War Two. So they made the wor- world fight a war to end Nazism so that they could keep Israel, they being the Jews, uh, or Zionists specifically, while simultaneously building up communism to keep the West so busy so that Zionists could strengthen over time and then take over the world, which was weakened by the fight between communism and the West. And then there'd be a third world war that would be started by the USSR and the atheists to crush all religions, wherein all nations would choose the US or the USSR and that Israel would remain wholly neutral, wholly with a W. Yeah. This would, of course, eliminate the white race. And then the Masons would finally take over in a satanic plot. Which I guess Zionism is a tool of as well. Yeah, well, yeah, all of these people want to want to want to immediately latch onto Masonism uh, yeah. as as a thing. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Now, Carr was heavily influenced by 1920s English anti-Semite Nesta mm. Webster mm. and French anti-Mason Leo Taxel, as well as this is the part where you're like, why did he have to be so good at research? What the fuck? <laughs> Why, 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 why did you, why did he have to be so diligent? Why, right. why did he have to spend so much time and energy? Yeah. So Nesta uh. Webster of England, uh, the anti-Semite and the anti-Mason Leo Taxel of France, uh, as well as the grandpappy of the Illuminati conspiracy theorist, Jesuit priest, Augustine Barrel, Barul, Baruel, Barrel with a U between the R and the E, Baruel. Mm, yeah, I don't know. Augustine Barrowell. There you go. And if you're wondering if someone's ego will live on beyond them, the answer is yes, (laughs) if their publishing house smells money. Because after Carr died in 1959, they published, his publishing house published, The Conspiracy to Destroy All Existing Governments and Religions, wherein he doubled down on the connections between the UFOs, the New World Order, Freemasons, the Illuminati, and the international secret cabals. This in itself, yeah... (laughs) This was in 59? 59. Dude was ahead of his time. Yes. My God. And it, right. would be, it would be laughable if it weren't so easily picked up by credulous and dangerous fools. Fundamentalist Christians love the conspiracy stuff because of the ties <laughs> to Lucifer. Dan yeah. Brown liked it because he wrote intricate conspiracy fictions about a period of time that had cool costumes brought into modern times. Yeah, okay. Did I mention that uh, Carr was the president of his own publishing house named the Federation of Christian Laymen? No, I, you you didn't mention, but I'm not at all surprised. I only mention it because this Toronto-based group not only wrote anti-Mason, uh, anti-Mason newsletters monthly, but also they had close ties with another group based out of California called the California Council of Christian Laymen, which lasted mm. from 1949 until 1964. The California Council of Christian Laymen included as two of its most prominent members, Edward Geary Lansdale, a former OSS officer who became an Air Force officer, who focused specifically on the psychological warfare of the Philippines to fight against the, oh shit, um, Hukbalahep? I, I I can't help you on that one. Yeah, it, basically okay. these were um, partisans uh, who were fighting um in the philippines uh after world war ii um yeah they were the the muslims on on yeah, those islands yeah yeah uh, so, southern islands yeah yeah uh yeah. his men uh so th- this gentleman i'm talking about lansdale's men would capture an enemy soldier and drain the blood from his body and then they'd leave the corpse where the hook partisans would find it which would cause them to flee the region because there this would be considered evidence of the oswangs 
the blood sucking oh, demons in the yeah, jungle out of out of uh, Filipino folklore. Yeah. Yeah. Now, after this, Lansdale became a CIA operative tasked by Dulles to do the same thing in Vietnam, where Lansdale became a close advisor to no GMCM. Because, of course, he did. Anyway, Lansdale was one prominent member of the California Council of the Christian Layman. The other notable member of this group that was in close cahoots with William Guy Carr's publishing house in Toronto, which spread tons of anti-Masonic propaganda, was textile importer Alfred Kohlberg, who just, if I don't know if you remember him, but he just happened to be a member of the anti-communist group, the China Lobby, which was the main uh, funder of right, the American right. Business Consultants Incorporated mm. and an Amer original member for the National Council for the John Birch Society. I knew, I knew we were coming around to the John. I knew John Birch Society was going to show up somewhere. And you remember in that here. Red Watch that they yeah. would publish? Yeah, Goldberg's one of the main guys for that. Oh, lovely! What wonderful, wonderful patriotic Americans! It's really weird. Damn these, it! These semi-conspiratorial connections in people who trade in unfounded conspiracy theories. Well, and again, it's they're 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 projecting. Yeah, they're, they're projecting on themselves. They're they're involved in in sketchy shit, mm -hmm. so they think there's even bigger global sketchy shit going yeah. on. Like, so Carr's ultimate solve for all of these problems that he's clearly identified was, of course, that Christians needed to step up and stop all the secularism and communism and atheism that was in the world. This presumably would include black pastors advocating for secular justice before Jesus comes back, as well as separatist offshoots of Islam. Picking up the weird fucking baton from Carr is Mary M. Davison, who was an American writer and an advocate for the U.S. leaving the U.N. in the early 1960s. She wrote the booklet. Notice none of these people are writing full books anymore. Um, oh, well, she wrote, no. <laughs> she wrote because the, there's yeah. nothing. What what new material can you generate? Right. You can't all get their, 300 all their pages. writing. Yeah, you all their writing. Are, yeah, all their yeah. writing are appendices to yeah. the crazy batshit stuff of generations before them. Mm hmm. So she wrote the booklet called The Profound Revolution in 1966. I hated reading this. Um, <laughs> this was mostly to link the New World Order to the Federal Reserve, which had started all the way back in 1913. Her, uh, <laughs> and this was hard to get through. Her argument was that the Federal Reserve had been started by international bankers, many of whom she claimed went on in 1921 to create the Council on Foreign Relations. And if you look at this, 1913 and 1921 neatly bookend the First World War, so long as you ignore that it ended in 1918. Um, but if you you could claim that the Council on the Foreign Relations was originally mm -hmm. thought up in 1918 and maybe still make the case. And the yeah. only person, because I looked, because she was saying this shit, so I looked. I looked at the roll sheets. I looked at so much shit. The only person I found who was there at the outset of both things, the Council on Foreign Relations and the uh, Federal Reserve, was Paul Warburg. Paul Warburg was the scion of a Jewish banking dynasty whose roots stretch back to Venice in its heyday. Warburg was a huge proponent of central banking and had most of American history on his side with this stance. You know, Andrew Jackson called and said, fuck you. But he would have yeah. done that to anyone. So yeah. he would have done that to the, the, the Girl Scouts yeah, um, and hit them with a hickory switch. Yeah. Um, but he had a lot of history on his side to to be in favor of central banking. 
Yeah. And he was very influential in the 1910s on in in specifically on legislative efforts at the monetary reform. So much so that Senator Aldrich of Rhode Island invited Warburg to attend a secret meeting with other influential bankers on Jekyll Island in Georgia to draft a bill specifically to legislate a centralized banking system into existence. So that actually did happen. All of that actually happened. And that's the problem is that there is enough meat on the bone for these fucking people to just build an entire castle in the sky. Yeah. Around it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really fucked up that such things are done in public, right? Because of how unwilling to listen or that such things are not done in public. Pardon me. Mm -hmm. Because of how unwilling to listen to reasonable arguments and face necessary changes we are as a culture. We did well, need a central bank. We did need monetary reform in the 19th. Well, yeah, we, we did. And, and the other, I mean, it's not just that we're not willing to listen to the need for things to change. It's that. Right. For the ordinary average individual, mm -hmm. the shit is really boring and yeah. we don't want to, and we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to like whatever, even if the meetings were made public. Right. And yeah, I mean, like, it's keep your government be, hands there'd off be, my There'd Medicare. be an article in the paper. Right. Yeah. And people know. would skip that. Yeah. I mean, I read through a bunch <laughs> of papers from 1912 um, to, to get a feel for what people thought of Warburg because he was big back then. He was a big fucking deal. Um, now you remember Len Lease was largely secreted away from the American public as well, by the way. Yeah. And that was absolutely the right move. And from 1921 to 1926, Warburg served on both the Federal Reserve Advisory Council and was a director on the Council of Foreign Relations. And his son, James Warburg, was an advisor to FDR for a generation later, which means that the Warburg family's efforts also helped on some levels to set the table for Bretton Woods and Dumbarton Oaks. Mm. So again, it's yeah. a name that pops up. And if you go a look and, and if you notice it has the word Berg in it, like, I mean, all, yeah, you know, yeah, it would be like, what if the Reichstag fire was started by a guy named Abraham Cohen? Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. he was a communist. It would yeah. be like that, you know? Yeah. So, by the way, even in 1966, um, Davison's idea, this woman's idea of international bankers was well known as the International Jewish Banking Conspiracy, which was the brainchild of the Rothschild family. So the international banking conspiracy is clearly the Rothschild, right? So that's that's the the soup that she's swimming in. Warburg was just a tool of that much more sinister and far-reaching conspiracy to create a new world order. And so were the Masons to some extent somehow. And all yeah. of them were in on creating a new world order where international borders didn't exist and international bankers ran the show. What I what I find funny mm -hmm. about about the obsession that these folks all have with Judaism mm -hmm. and the Masons is that historically one of the most anti-Semitic organizations in 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 society in the West has been the Masons. Do you remember last week when anti, we talked about anti anti Jewish and anti Catholic? But do anyway, you, do you remember last week when we were talking about your mother in law throwing you under the bus? Yeah, 
So in short, the Freemasons have been tied <laughs> to conspiracies to run shadow governments. <laughs> because if there you look go. at the Masonic influences of world leaders, you see that there are actually a lot of world leaders who are Masonic uh, adherents in some way. They, yeah. they, they, you know, yeah. The basics of it are always the same. Freemasons and Masons are infiltrating the highest levels of government in order to help each other to infiltrate the highest levels of government and below. They have roots that tie back to the Templars and the Jews, both of whom were involved in early banking in Europe. Templars were some of the first credit bankers. Oh, yeah. Which is why Philip hated them. (laughs) Both of them are obviously also secret Satanists. I mean, obviously. Right. Obviously. Those are the accusations that spoke to them at the base of the temple. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So they use all that influence as well as the influence and entertainment, which is meant to soften people into being secular and thus dupes for Satan in order to bring about an atheistic new world order that will then allow satanic masons and Jews to control the world. It's proven in the protocols of the elders of Zion, like every, which is fake, right? Like, but anyway, yeah. yeah. Communism is also a Jewish satanic plot to pull people away from God and to make people uh, used to autocracy. Which totally explains why Stalin, you know, himself purged. Well, remember, he's a lizard person. Right. Right. The whole Soviet Council. Right. Okay. Got it. And income tax is a similar plot. After all, (laughs) look at when the Federal Reserve. Well, just, I mean, obviously, (laughs) anybody, anybody who's a grifter. Is going to villainize the tax service because right. that's Taxes that's how you why that's that's how you wind up in jail right is because you don't pay so obviously you're going to discredit the tax service right now I would point out though that the Federal Reserve and the income tax both came into being in 1913 or actually within three years of each other I think 1916 so uh, Satan has three consonants in his name S T N which of course if you know your Templar history you can draw a triangle between Saint Andrews Troon and Newcastle which are three sites which the Templars specifically didn't mention and since we all know that the triangle is the strongest shape in nature which a Mason would also know and Masons have three consonants in their name too which if you go from Morar to Stonehaven to New Galloway you'll get three different cities the Templars didn't name you put those two triangles on top of each other and rotate and move one a significant amount of space and you get what that's right a star of David and David also has three consonants in his name you see where I'm going of course because it's Um, a Semitic word of course Mason David and Satan all have five letters in their name and how many points are on a pentagram exactly and what vowel shows up four times in those three names exactly and four is the square of two and since Masons use an architect square which ties it all back together of course since a square is four and Satan is five that's nine circles of hell and if I go into those nine circles that's ten and how many letters in the word Illuminati Illuminati also starts with an I and it also has you in it I and you are being held by the Illuminati because Illuminati has us all in its clutches okay you see so why now I'm that depressed? you had to pause to take a breath <laughs> Um, first, first, <laughs> did, did you that take all, all of that, that was just numerology me. bullshit yeah. or, okay. All right. Yeah. Cause I was proving like, that any moron can fucking do that. That any, that any, any moron can come up with this shit. Yeah. Even me. Yeah. I mean, you're, well, no, you're a gifted moron, but, um, like, <laughs> oh, um, and I don't, I don't even, there was something else that I had in the middle of all that, that I was like, okay, wait a minute. But, but it got, it got steamrolled by, by the sheer 
weight of of dumb. That's what these booklets do. Um, I mean, it's it's a hundred percent like it's that machine what's, what's gun the, of shit that you're like, yeah, I have to clean what, the whole wall. Oh, what's the what? What is the name of the of the rhetorical bullshit device? The gish galloping, galloping. Gish galloping. Yeah, gish, gish yeah. gallop. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a complete gish gallop of of nonsense. Mm-hmm. I, I I love your you know three three cities that the Templars never specifically mentioned. Right. Like, and then there's three more. And if you move those yeah, triangles and rotate one, yeah, and then and move it over. One, yeah, but you have to move it, it over because otherwise yeah, it won't work. Yeah. 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 Now the but, Illuminati was an alternative to Freemasonry when it originally started as a secret society. Yes. Adam Weishaupt hated clericalism in the 17 and 1800s, and he started this group because he didn't like that he had to pay such high dues to the Freemasons at the time. <laughs> and that's basically what it started as, the Pepsi yeah. to their Coke. Um, he was a big fan of ritual, but he really struggled with the old ways of doing things. So he wanted new rituals. Uh, so he kept going with the Illuminati as a group. And eventually, of course, it became an internal struggle within the group. And there was the predictable schisms and whatnot and big emphasis on being yeah. smart, but also mysticism and ritual. So yeah. it was a secret society. Not really, but it wasn't that different from the other boys clubs and salons of the time. Yeah. The Masons, or I'm sorry, the Illuminati was just more overtly secular and anti-clerical at a time when such sentiments were on the rise but also easily it rubber banded back against. Yeah. But at first the Illuminati was specifically exclusionary of the Jews and the women and the pagans. Yes. And eventually though, after the Illuminati's total suppression and crushing in Bavaria, they were destroyed in Bavaria because of the influence that they, uh, uh, that they had on enlightenment ideals in the French revolution, as well as across the pond and the Americans and the Brits started speaking up against the Illuminati including Mm -hmm. Jedediah Morris and John Erskine. Mm. In America, it absolutely found its way into uh, electoral politics, which, of course, made sure that anti-Illuminati shit was a partisan tool from then on. And, of course, it's easier to say, but what if it just got more secret? And then you've got a perpetual patsy. Okay. Okay, so so all of this stuff, I've I've been, you know, trying, trying to remember who it was the the name that you know people claimed to be channeling and i was trying to remember whether there was a connection to the illuminati like from mm-hmm. the figure and i finally remember is count saint germain is oh, yeah. is the figure that that folks claim to be channeling right and and oh jesus <clears throat> that's even mentioned in ghostbusters yeah my yeah. uncle thought he was saint jerome oh no it's saint jerome Never mind. yeah saint jerome but yeah but yeah saint germain it's the purple something or other like, yeah the color purple is always associated with it is a, is a thing yeah yeah and and um, I had thought for a moment that he was one of the founders that he was one one of the founding members and possibly part of the schism within the actual historical Illuminati. Mm-hmm. Turns out, no, he's he's referred to an awful lot in uh, you guessed it, Theosophy. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Anyway, I was barking up the wrong tree, but gotcha. but so so these guys founded a club. Yes, because you know. We didn't like the other clubs, so we're going to start our own with blackjack and hookers. Totally fair. You know, uh, forget about the blackjack, and we don't want women in here, so you know, forget the hookers. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like the Templars, mm-hmm. they got they got crushed. 
Yeah, they get you know, other. They, they very got they quickly. got suppressed. They got they yep. got othered very fast and and basically got shut down. But there was enough of a cultural memory left behind that they were left as something for these idiots to cling to. That seems to be the recurring theme. Mm-hmm. Like if the Templars are involved, they're gonna they're gonna like lap that shit up. Yeah. If if the Illuminati were even like present on the same part of the continent yes they're gonna they're gonna find a way to to try to you know blame them for yes. something yes yes <laughs> like yeah yeah anyway. now another naval background person of note in this story is robert welch jr from his early years he too was clearly too smart for his and anyone else's own good mm. he'd been admitted to chapel hill at the age of 12 and he was such an insufferable Baptist that he never turned down a chance to convert his classmates. I grant you, this is around 1912. So instead of trying to get laid a ton, I'm sure his classmates were just wearing ridiculous sweaters, pork pie straw hats, and played ukuleles. The last thing they needed was a 12-year-old fire and brimstone preacher cock-blocking them. Yeah. He went both to Annapolis Naval Academy as well as Harvard Law School, but he didn't finish at either place. Uh, instead, he put his efforts into business, specifically candy. And eventually, he'd be credited with creating sugar babies and junior mints. From about the age of 13 or so, he was also very invested in conspiracy theories as well, because, of course, a smarter-than-everyone white boy in South Carolina would be interested in conspiracy theories. By 1956, Welsh retired from the candy business and was hella rich, partly due to the popularity of movies. So what does a rich guy do after he retires? Run for office, support politicians, and start a zine. Then in December of 1958, Welsh, a guy who'd proven successful at his whole life and who'd made a lot of money giving people what they wanted, who had business as his model for everything because he was mm. good at it, um, and who'd always gotten uh, always gotten his way and had always held Jesus and conspiracy theories close to his heart, he got together with 11 other guys. Amongst them, Nazi sympathies, uh, sympathizers Fred Koch, or Fred Koch, no, Fred Koch. Koch. And later neo-Nazi Revilio P. Oliver uh, after he'd lost his bid for lieutenant governor of Massachusetts and created a group based around a guy named John Birch. John Birch was a Presbyterian turned Baptist minister and missionary who worked for the OSS in China and who was killed by Chinese communists 10 days after World War II ended in what appears to be basically a failure to communicate on a number of levels. Birch had worked with Claire Chennault uh in china for most of the war did i do his name justice chanel okay yeah. good enough for me uh welch jr wanted to use his name as an anti-communist icon one man's opinion which was renamed american opinion because of course it was uh became the official paper of the john birch society and now it's called the new american within the first three years the john birch society flush with junior mint money was conducting postcard campaigns to stop Eisenhower from summiting with the USSR on nuclear arms reductions and other issues to try to impeach that flaming liberal Earl Warren from the Supreme Court and an effort to pressure Xerox to not sponsor TV shows for broadcasters who were in favor of the United Nations. Wow. Among their founding principles, Welsh Jr. wrote, quote, both the U.S. and Soviet governments are controlled by the same furtive conspiratorial cabal of internationalists, greedy bankers, and corrupt politicians. If left unexposed, the traitors inside the U.S. government would betray the country's sovereignty to the United Nations for a collectivist new world order managed by one world socialist government. End quote. 
Okay, wait. I I knew. Yeah. That the John Birch Society was extreme right wing. I mm-hmm. knew that they were <clears throat> somewhere to the to the right of Chinggis Khan. Yes. Politically. I I didn't I didn't realize until just now. Like like oh my sweet summer child. No, mm-hmm. they they were they were actually batshit crazy conspiracy conspiracy theory types mm-hmm. from the I, jump but i i i feel like such a fool that like i was unaware of that mm-hmm. okay but they were not specifically anti-semitic at least in a surface conspiratorial way they they talked about internationalists and greedy bankers and corrupt uh-huh. politicians. Yeah. Uh, Welsh himself had said, quote, all we are interested in here is opposing the advance of the communists and eventually destroying the whole communist conspiracy so that Jews and Christians alike and Mohammedans and Buddhists can again have a decent world in which to live. And and the John Birch Society did actually re- expel Revilo Oliver uh, or Alvi- Alvier. Um, mm-hmm. Their hard-on was against communism. Not anything else. I guess you have to crawl before you can goose step. Yeah. Yeah. Now in 1964, (laughs) Welch said, with regard to Eisenhower, it is difficult to avoid raising the questions of deliberate treason. What? He said that Eisenhower was a tool of the communists. Fucking Ike? Different Ikes. Uh, But yeah. Yeah, (laughs) No, no. The Ike I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, Eisenhower. Yeah. Eisenhower. Yes. In a the 19th, tool of the communists. Yes. In what? the 1970s, the John Birch Society keened even harder rightward. After helping Phyllis Schlafly. Oh, what? Wait. Huh? No. Yeah. How do you Okay. You get Phyllis Schlafly on your side. Oh God. Herself a member of the John Birch Society. <sighs> after helping her to defeat the Equal Rights Amendment, then they end up decentralizing. And any time a rightist movement decentralizes, it gets more dangerous. Um, they all kept their core tenets the same, standing against civil rights, campaigning against the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of Crime of Genocide. Uh, they were against that. Um, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, because if you did, do they that, let Olvier back in? No, no, did not. Um, he stayed out, but once okay. once Welch died, the second head of the group was a congressman from Georgia whose death we've actually already discussed. His name was Larry McDonald. Okay. Remember, remember where he was in 1983? Vaguely refreshed my memory. He was on Korean Airlines Flight 007. Uh, okay. Now, after he dies, William P. Hoare... <laughs> Great um, Right. who'd been very hard against George H.W. Bush for his New World Order speech for being too internationalist. Oh, my God. There's that word again. Uh, he began mm. writing against Bill Clinton for his alleged connections to the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderberg Group, and the Council on Foreign Relations. Oh, my God. Now, here's what Bush said, by the way, that was so satanic. Quote, Until now, the world we've known has been a world divided, a world of barbed wire and concrete block, conflict, and the Cold War. Now we can see a new world coming into view, a world in which there is the in which there is the genuine prospect of a new world order. 
In the words of Winston Churchill, a world order in which the principles of justice and fair play protect the weak against the strong. A world where the United Nations, freed from a Cold War stalemate, is poised to fulfill the historic visions of its founders. A world in which freedom and respect for human rights find a home among among all nations. Obviously, he was clearly a Stalinist tool. Yeah, obvi. I mean, Um, come on. Yeah. Hoare wrote The Architects of Conspiracy and Intriguing History in 1984. And the whole John Birch Society seemed to be really getting into it more and more conspiracies. George H.W. Bush's speech clearly proved that it was happening. And then Pat Robertson wrote The New World Order in 1981. Mm. In it, he exposed the New Age movement, the Freemasons, the Clintons, the Trilateral Commission. I'm sorry, that must have been 1991 that he did that. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, yeah. yeah, the Clintons, the uh, the uh, Trilateral Commission, the, the, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Illuminati, and Satan as being the architects to bring down America and Americanism, which means Christian nationalism on many levels. Robertson said that the principal goal, quote, the principal goal is the establishment of one world government of a one world government where the control of money is in the hands of one or more privately owned but government chartered central banks. End quote. Anytime banking is mentioned, I'm calling dog whistle. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. The... Robertson also was inspired by Nesta Webster from England. Remember her? Oh. Uh and he, uh, she revived the Illuminati conspiracy theories back in the 1920s. Webster believed herself to be reincarnated from someone who died in the French Revolution, by the way. Because, of course, she did. <laughs> because, because of course, like, yeah, if, if, if fairies, <laughs> then aliens, like, right. This, of course, helps to explain why she went all, you in. Have to go all in. Yeah. And she went all in on the conspiracy that the French Revolution was a continental Freemason conspiracy because she distinguished between the continental version and the British version because, of course, she did. She's a Brit. Webster was fiercely anti-Semitic, though she pretended not to be. And she said that the Illuminati's members were all occultists who sought to run the world via communism through a Jewish cabal, Masons and Jesuits. (laughs) In 19... In 1920, Webster also wrote for the London Morning Post, contributing to an ongoing series called The Jewish Peril. That series was later gathered into a publication into a book form called The Cause of World Unrest. These are both fancy names for The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Because, of course, they are. Because what else would they be? Yeah. So Robertson read her shit, loved the cut of her jib, and wrote his book in 91. And according to Don Wilkie, a Christian academic, quote, Robertson's book is, quote, a summary of Robertson's book is found on page 177 in which Pat says a conspiracy has existed in the world working through Freemasonry and Secret Order of the Illuminati, a group combining Masons and Jewish bankers. So, so, you know, the, the, the verb you used earlier mm-hmm. was that Robertson exposed all of this. Mm-hmm. Two questions about that. Sure. sure, sure. Exposed. Number one, uh, would, would 
tend to point in the direction of this all having been uh, successfully hidden up to the point where uh, Robertson wrote his book. But um, he's literally parroting shit that was already said by any number of people beforehand. Yeah. So he didn't expose anything by by that definition. Nope. And then furthermore, um, if if we say that something is expository, mm-hmm. um, generally there is uh, evidence, you know, proof, proof of of what they're saying, and um, like I assume, outside of quoting the aforementioned protocols of the elders of zion there's no there's no documentation he pointed to there's no like well he's quoting we other people we have, right yeah, so I, he's yeah. treating them as though they are verifiable sources and since she was in the yeah. newspaper it counts <clears throat> right yeah he also okay. like eustace mullins uh who's 100 anti-semite who thought that america owed a debt to hitler that the Jews used pictures of dead Germans to claim the Holocaust happened and that a conspiracy existed wherein Warburg and Woodrow Wilson and J.P. Morgan and the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds founded the Federal Reserve to weaken national and ethnic distinctions for the sake of international bankers who brought about the famines of the 1930s to make more money. Okay, wait. Yeah. The founding of the Federal Reserve somehow weakened national and ethnic distinctions? Yes. Because it strengthened international bankers who would then basically make it so that famines happened. Okay. That still doesn't weaken national distinctions. Like, Scots are still going to wear skirts in, in plaid, and, and the French are still going to eat snails. Like, they, they, they make these arguments about, about, you know, national distinction, like, being destroyed. But mm-hmm. no that mm-hmm. there's there's no evidence of that ever having happened yeah like well eustace mullins like also are these people claimed... terrified of fusion cuisine probably like... and you know you do have in the 1920s and 30s international communication that is much quicker so this is scaring people mm-hmm. um and it, when people get scared they blame the jews right So Eustace Mullins also claimed that Hitler was funded by the Rothschilds. Which, of course, tied into the Bilderberg Group, which in 1968, Eustace Mullins wrote the biological Jew. Yeah. Wow. And not to be outshined by Pat Robertson, he saw what Pat Robertson had done. And Pat Robertson was cribbing from Mullins. And so in 92, he wrote a book, uh, Mullins did, called The World Order, The World Order, Our Secret Owners. Now, I'll catch up with the rest of these shitty people after I catch David Icke up, because we need to catch him up, because we're here to talk about V. And this whole time, I actually have been talking about V. So back to David Icke. When last we left him, he clearly was headed anti-Semite, but he was begging off. And then he stopped getting published. But by this time, Ike was wealthy enough and had amassed enough of a following that he could self-publish. So in 1995, Ike published his book, And the Truth Shall Set You Free, in which he questioned the Holocaust and that, quote, the Warburgs, part of the Rothschild Empire, helped finance Adolf Hitler. So we know where he's at. And just in case we don't, he says more, quote, 
Again, this is David Icke. I strongly believe that a small Jewish clique which has contempt for the mass of Jewish people worked with non-Jews to create the First World War, the Russian Revolution, and the Second World War. They then dominated the Versailles Peace Conference and created the circumstances which made the Second World War inevitable. They financed Hitler to power in 1933 and made the funds available for his rearmament. But he's not at all anti-Semitic. No. No. And then in 1999, he wrote The Biggest Secret. And he wrote that there is a race of alien reptilian people called the Anukai, named for part of the Sumerian gods' pantheon, who are from the Draco constellation. Now, I'd say you cannot make this shit up, but clearly he made I, I this shit up. I think it's Anunnaki. Okay. I think yeah. it's Anunnaki, but well, yeah, okay. Yeah. The, the, there seems to be an N missing. I might have misspelled. Who knows? Okay. Um, But sure. Um, Anyways. Uh, and, and it could be it is the Anunnaki, and that's the Sumerian word, and he changed it a little bit to the Anukai. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but he clearly made this shit up. Anyway, these Anukai uh, have taken over the positions of prominence all over the world. But don't worry, they're also extra-dimensional. But from the lower astral dimensions, you see, specifically the fourth dimension, and they're called the Archons. They're controlled by beings in the fifth dimension, of course, if you've got your bingo card ready. Ike claims that a genetically modified human-archon hybrid race who are shape-shifting reptilians are also known as the Babylonian Brotherhood, which is also the Illuminati. They interfere in and manipulate global events to keep humans in constant fear, which is delicious negative energy for the archons to feed off of, keeping us trapped here in a mere five senses reality. Here's what he has to say about that. Quote, The weapons in our hands are limitless ambition, burning greediness, uh, merciless vengeance, hatred, and malice. It is from us that all engulfing terror proceeds. We will not give the people of this world peace until they openly acknowledge our international super government. That's what the Archons are saying in his book. Okay. Actually, I lied. Like, did he? Did he? Did he interview one of them? No, I lied. Uh, okay. I, that's actually a quote from the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. <laughs> Ha, ha, you see how on brand this Good shit work. is? Good job. Thank you. Now, quote, this does come from it. When you get back into the ancient world, you find this recurring theme of a union between a non-human race and humans, creating a hybrid race. From 1998, I started coming across people who told me that they had seen people change into non-human form. It's an age-old phenomenon known as shape-shifting. The basic form is like a scaly humanoid with reptilian rather than humanoid eyes. The Brotherhood, which controls the world today, is the modern expression of the Babylonian Brotherhood of Reptile, Aryan Priests, and Royalty. Ike said this in an interview when he uh, he also stated in, in that same interview that when he uses the term Aryan, he means the white race. All right. Well, you know, um, mm-hmm. thank you all for coming. Um, I think we're done here. Oh, but we're not. The apex like... <laughs> of the Babylonian Brotherhood holds the... like the apex of the Babylonian bro- Brotherhood holds the global elite whose chiefs act as prison wardens here on this world. Ike said, quote, We have the encouragements of wars, human genocide, the mass slaughter of animals, sexual perversions, which create highly charged negative energy, and black magic ritual and sacrifice, which takes place on a scale that will stagger those who have not studied the subject. End quote. Now, doesn't that sound blood libelly? Oh, in, intensely! Like... It's it's intensely blood libelly. Mm-hmm. I I wonder 
how how boring his his day-to-day life must be in terms of his diet and you know sexual habits because well, you know slaughter purple, so mass mass slaughter of animals mm-hmm. clearly points to oh like, wait, wait wait you know what do you mean animals no 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 it gets better oh shit the reptilians have forever demanded human sacrifices and not animals specifically child sacrifices because quote at the moment of death by sacrifice a form of adrenaline called adrenochrome surges through the body accumulating all shit the brain and is apparently more potent than children so so ike is the godfather of q Mm mm-hmm Mm. so you know what's fun is that it just keeps getting dumber oh now some of this worked its way into star wars books because if you remember tales from most likely cantina kevin j anderson wrote about the soup and the luck for the anzadi the hookah smoker uh from from you know the cantina bar okay yeah and where he's talking about how delicious obi-wan's soup would be but he's going to settle for on solos luck and soup and stuff like that. I mean, it's basically that same kind of right, concept. right, right. That's okay. in the mid nineties. Also, that's the same shit that people are talking about nowadays with Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But more importantly, again, what ancient conspiracy practice does this sound like? Well, obviously it's blood libel. Yep. Ike holds the reptilian archons responsible for the creation of the following institutions. Here is a, a list and it's not comprehensive. I left a bunch out. The Council of Foreign Relations, the IMF, the UN, the Round Table, the Chatham House, the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderberg Group, the media, the military, CIA, MI6, science, the internet, religion, <laughs> Mossad, <laughs> the Club of Science. Rome, science. <laughs> Royal Institute of International Affairs, the London School of Economics, and the Illuminati, to name a few. You want to know what they've been doing? They've been responsible for 9-11, the Oklahoma City bombing, Princess Diana's death, fluoride in the water, chemtrails, 7-7, the assassination of JFK, Columbine, Dunblane massacre, and global warming. You see, they've been here all along, and it's the reptilians all over it being Jewish. (laughs) Quote, (sighs) Thought patterns in the collective Jewish mind have repeatedly created that physical reality of oppression, prejudice, and racism, which matches the pattern, the expectation programmed into their collective psyche. They expect it. They create it. He, yes, he just said that. He he victim blames the Jewish people for anti-Semitism. Yes. But he himself is not anti-Semitic. Oh, no, no, of course not. No, No. because they, because they are. Right. In his logic, like, no, he can't be. Yeah. Now, after the (sighs) 2000s and Bush was in charge and a lot of right wing conspiracy folks had to invent new and different wrinkles in those uh, on those in power to keep feeding the monster. So they did, of course. Neocons weren't going far enough and they weren't too different from neolibs. This is true. Um, yeah. that last part at least on the left you had criticisms that neolibs weren't doing enough and weren't too different from neocons also true yeah. uh, so you have people on both sides uh, and things kept humming along after 9-11 where you could point to responses as conspiracies and this increased presence of American military personnel overtly overseas 140 something bases 
um, it became fertile ground again to say that at the top, the power structure remained the same. It was simply a matter of branding, and there is some validity to those claims. The messaging worked on so many levels for so many people that it led to more and more smart folks thinking that they were the only ones who got it. Add to that the advent of broadband internet, and you've got a lot of folks radicalizing and, and insulating themselves. In August of 2000, only 4% of American households had broadband internet access. Websites were pretty basic at that point. You could mostly, you, you mostly purposely had to seek stuff out. But by July of 2011, 69% of American households had broadband internet access. Mm -hmm. And in 2008, only 22% of people purchased new smartphones. But in 2016, it was up to 73%. YouTube started in 2005. Podcasts, which are originally called audio blogs, got started in 2004. And by 2005, Apple was folding it into their iTunes uh, platform. Mm -hmm. By 2009, 43% of the country had heard of podcasts. In those growing years, more and more people had access to more and more accidental and then clickbaity content. So you have more videos, more channels, more podcasts, more websites, all moving this content of conspiracy into people's eyeline. And the result is obviously manifest. More niche means more niche content means more people screaming about the new world order and other conspiracy theories. And the more that happens, the more that Glenn Beck, Sean Hannity, and Alec Jones screech about conspiracies of global elites and liberals who are trying to lull you in, take you over, and enslave and devour good Americans. Here's a quote. The families in positions of great financial power obsessively interbreed with each other. But I'm not talking about one Earth race, Jewish or non-Jewish. I'm talking about a genetic network that operates through all the races. The blood, this bloodline being a fusion of human and reptilian genes. And now suddenly the idea is that I'm saying it's a gigantic Jewish plot. But let me make myself clear. This does not in any way relate to an Earth race. But okay, Jewish isn't a race, is it? Is that or, or, or are you saying that Jewish isn't an Earth race? Right. And like, really like you're he's... literally dehumanizing and that's Jewish it. People. He's othering them. And the lizards become a stand-in for Jewish people. And he's drawing on the prejudices and conspiracy theories that already cast Jews as the lizards. In 2003, there was a provincial election in Ontario, Canada. Dalton McGinty, Ernie Eves, and Howard Hampton were all the party leaders for the 103 legislative seats up for, for election. Ernie Eves of the Progressive Conservative Party accused Dalton McGinty of the Liberal Party of being, quote, an evil reptilian kitten eater from another planet. Okay. W was that was that uh, uh, intended as hyperbole or I was, think it was he serious? Schrodinger's shittiness. Okay. So when he got called out for how fucking weird that was, <clears throat> yeah. he said it was a joke. He said it was even over the top. But then he also refused to apologize for it. <laughs> Some say that he was referencing a Buffy episode. Okay. But yeah. Also. No. <laughs> like, okay. Right. But no. Also, McGinty made sure that there was a picture of him holding a little white fluffy kitten. And that also that they had t-shirts made that said, call me an evil reptilian kitten eater, but I want change. Which 
Okay, well, that's the best yeah. response you could make. Like, you know. Yeah. The election was a disaster for the progressive conservatives who ended up losing almost 60% of the seats that they held while the liberals won more than double <laughs> what they had. And the new yeah. Democratic Party lost two seats as well. Clearly, the reptilians have won. Now, in a super tight race decided by 500 voters. Oh, that's wow. Tight. Yeah. In Minnesota for Senate in 2008, Al Franken barely edged out Norm Coleman. I, I remember that. Yeah. Some of the votes had write-ins. Lizard people ballots were all thrown out, making the race tighter than it already was. And when the actual author of the lizard people write-in was found, he said, quote, a friend of mine, we didn't like the candidates, so we were at first going to write in revolution because we thought that was uh, good and to the point. And then we thought the lizard people would be even funnier. And there was kind of a running inside gag between some friends and I. And he maintained that he had, quote, the right to vote for anybody I wish, even if it's made up candidate or even myself. It really bugs me that he's a 25 year old semi redheaded ponytail, long sideburned goatee wearing thin guy who's much, much more than it should bother me, quite honestly. <laughs> but still, <laughs> but still, but it also means that he couldn't have seen the miniseries or the TV series when they first aired. So where's he getting this lizard people shit? Because it's a year before V came back on the air. Ike, mm. it's in. It's in. It's it's in. It's in. The, it's in, it's the, in the water. Yeah, yeah. And just so you can see that the series was responding to the zeitgeist, not driving the zeitgeist. In 2011, Louis C.K. asked Donald Rumsfeld, which I guess it was a monster's ball situation. Yeah. Um, he asks him on the Opie the Anthony radio show, "Quote: Are you a lizard?" He'd given some pretext that this was based on the conspiracy, so there's there's no mention uh, of the show. Rumsfeld's response. For a good minute, Rumsfeld told a sprawling story about how people in New York love him and told Louie that he's, quote, messing with the wrong people. The more disturbing part of this episode is that both Opie and Anthony platformed Donald Rumsfeld and Louis C.K. in the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. finally... In 2013, Caitlin Hayden responded to a question in Wired asking about the legitimacy of the reptilian resistance's claim. Again, I can't make this shit up. Um, their claim that Obama had a shape-shifting alien humanoid on his security team. Her response was far more revelatory than Rumsfeld's. And I think she was like the secretary's deputy for the press. Yeah. Okay. She said, uh, quote, I can't confirm the claims made in this video, but any alleged program to guard the president with aliens or robots would likely have to be scaled back or eliminated in the sequester. I'd refer you to the Secret Service or Area 51 for more details. <laughs> which, which, like, I, I hear that and I'm like, that is that is brilliantly done. Right. But. But unfortunately. But, yeah. Yeah. The problem is that she responded. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it was tongue in cheek and it was funny. But look what farts are surfacing and bubbling on top of the lake here. Yeah. Right. There's plenty to criticize Obama for in 2013, but conspiratorial discourse has become so normalized at that point to such an extent that a White House attache is responding to it. And what is happening, tongue in cheek as it may be, is that the faith in the truth and objective truth that we can all agree on is shaky at best. It's Man. being destabilized and people are opting out. And that is a huge problem when we're looking at a heat wave after heat wave after heat wave. 
It's a huge problem when COVID is followed by monkeypox, and we're in the 19 er, we're in the 40s of the variants of COVID in rapid succession. The problem is that if enough people dive in on these things, presently 4% of the population believes that lizard people lizard people control our societies. That's a quote from a poll. Mm. 4% of the population believes that, then it's harder to mobilize actual collective action. Zuckerberg in 2016 had to answer an online Q&A whether or not he was a lizard. And while anecdotally it's funny and it's funny to say that of all people the question is most validly pointed at him, it's still it's, it's, but no, but it's yeah. not though because he's not a lizard, he's, he's a cyborg. Yeah. Come but on. It's also it still right. distract it still distracts from his elite position in our world and it still gives voice to shit that's best left between the drunks at a bar. Yeah. In 2014, John Key of New Zealand had to answer an official Information Act request about whether or not he was a lizard. He's a legislator, and he had to, it's basically a FOIA. He said, quote, to the best of my knowledge, no. Having been asked that question directly, I've taken the unusual step of not only seeing a doctor, but a vet, and both have confirmed that I'm not a reptile. Again, funny, but you're also having to respond. Yeah. Because when one conspiracy theory is given life publicly, the other bullshit gains legitimacy in a dangerous way. Here's some stats. 12% of Democrats who voted in the prior election believe that global warming was a hoax in 2013. 61% of Republicans who voted in the prior election thought it was a hoax in 2013. In 2020, 20% of Americans polled by Pew, which skews rightward, believe that the elite probably orchestrated COVID. 20%, 1 in 5. 5% said definitely so. So that's 1 in 4 think that to some extent the elite have orchestrated it. To break it down, similarly to the other stat, 15% of Democrats who voted in the prior election, so these are people who voted for public officials, thought that COVID was orchestrated by the elite. 15%. 3% of Democrats who voted in the prior election thought it was definitely orchestrated. So a total of 18% of Democrats who'd voted in the prior election were like, yeah, yeah, the elite did this. Republicans probably I... was 26%. Definitely was 8%. That's 34%. That's one in three Republicans. Yeah. And almost one in five Democrats. And Jesus. roughly the same percentage of moderates from both political groups say probably. So 29% of moderate Republicans and 24% of moderate Democrats. By the way, just to break it down educationally, 4% of college grads say definitely and 20% say probably. Yeah, fucking college grads. Mm. Yeah, half the country is high school diploma or less. And still 24% of college grads said yes. And the diploma or less folks, 36% said probably. That's one in three of high school diploma or less. And 12% said definitely. So 36 and 12, that's almost half, half the people who have a high school diploma or less say that COVID was orchestrated most likely by the elites. So let's go back to Ike and QAnon and anti-Semitism and all that absolutely fed into the 2009 version of V. Look at who was in the resistance. Erica, the FBI agent. Father Jack, the clergyman, Ryan Nichols, the only black main cast member who's actually a visitor and who's a successful businessman, 
Kyle Hobbs, the former British SAS operative who's a current mercenary and a professional violence guy. You have law and order, independent businessman, the good kind, private violencer, and a Christian. How is that not what Ike said were the only ones who could stop such a sprawling new world order? They're the only ones who could see what's really happening as the media had been completely co-opted along with the medical community, top religious leaders, and the world governments who are giving over willingly to a single world order led by a media savvy, controlling, duplicitous, looks like us but isn't us leader who says all the right things for the sheep to follow. Just a few people stand between total ruination and the truth. And maybe just 4% of the population. But luckily, they're armed. So that's cool. Jesus. Now, Morena Bakarin in 2009 said that the... Uh, she said of the series that it was more along the line, those lines. Quote, originally what was intended with the show, the aliens, the visitors had been amongst us for hundreds of years and were the impetus uh, and the catalyst for a lot of plagues and a lot of world wars and had kind of instigated these things to try to kind of try to end humanity and to control humanity. I thought that was the direction that we were headed. And then we ended up having two or three different showrunners and ABC didn't really know which direction they wanted to go to take the show. It became kind of a mess. But what first attracted me to the show was definitely this possibility that we could make parallels to the modern world. Yeah, you didn't miss that. Right. So she thinks all that shit is parallels to the modern world. Um, Ms. Bacarin, hmm. may I call you Morena? <laughs> no, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Um, the fuck, right? Okay. So the show that started wow. out as a writer who wanted to recreate it can't happen here, wherein Hitler and fascists have overtaken overtly, which must be resisted by all of us in all sorts of ways has gone completely the other way seeing that saying that the only that the ones doing the controlling are stand-ins for Jews and that their secret control of us must be resisted by a plucky bland of band of people who know the truth. Wow. Yeah. So that's 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 sobering. It. Yeah. <clears throat> it's funny yeah, we went I'm, short I'm, on the last show <laughs> yeah so here we are now yeah wow that's that's heavy that yeah you know mm -hmm. at the time that the show was on the mm -hmm. the, the most recent one the 2009 mm -hmm. version my my friends and i uh watched like the first two episodes of it and i remember you know that 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 whole um like something kind of makes you itch but you're not sure what right yeah and and like i don't want to be you know taking credit for like being aware of of something that you know like i wasn't consciously but i i remember i remember looking at it like I don't know if I like the the allegory yeah. they're going with here. Yeah. Like I I I I remember the allegory from the from the first one. 
you know, all those years ago. And I don't, I don't like this one. And, and all of the, all of the plot beats are similar. Mm -hmm. And yet this, this strikes me as very different. Yeah. And it's not just Marina Baccarin's haircut being very contemporary as opposed to Diana's, you know, being dynasty in space, Mm -hmm. which I mentioned before. Like there's there's something else going on here, and I don't know. Like it 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 made me itch, and I was just like, I'm I'm not gonna need to watch the rest of this. I'm done. Yeah, and and now that it's been so thoroughly dissected, like at the very least, I'm glad I didn't. Yeah, you know, um, and I really, really, really wish that I had been um, louder and more perceptive at the time. No, we all wish that. Like yeah, ourselves. I know. But like, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's gross. I mean, it's just at, at the end really of the day, is. It's, it's grotesque. You know, I I try to make the point to my to my history students. I'm teaching uh, ancient history now, and you know the whole uh, chariot of the gods, chariots of the gods. You know, ancient aliens shit. Mm-hmm. I consider insulting, and I and I you know um, I make a point of when we're talking about the pyramids, pointing out this was built by people, right? You know. Um, all of all of the ancient monuments of the ancient world. These were built by people. We can reconstruct how they were done. Uh, you know, and the answer, of course, winds up being it was done by you know massive forced labor uh, right. populations. <laughs> like, well, how could they possibly move all that when you don't have a moral qualm against slavery? You can get a lot of shit done. Like, you know, it it doesn't it doesn't take super tech. It just takes a huge labor force. Like, yeah, that's all. Um, you know, but, but this was all built by humans. Mm -hmm. This is, this is our Mm -hmm. legacy. This is what we have done. And I find it just as insulting, just as insulting in a different way that we have to find some alien source for all the evils in the world. Well, you know, like, like, you know, it's, it's, it's lizard people, it's reptilons. It's like all this other, it serves two masters that way too. Number one, it gives you a way to be anti-Semitic. Number two, if somehow that slips past you, then it still allows you to distance yourself conceptually as a person with responsibility from the problem. This is true. Yeah. So, but like no we we need to own our shit like as a species we need to Mm -hmm. own the fact that we are capable of all of the evil that we have done and it's not because we've all been manipulated by some secret cabal whether you blame humans other other subset of humans who you want to other and dehumanize or whether you want to try to blame aliens for it no that the seed of that hideousness right is ours yep and it is it is insulting to our capacity for good 
to obviate our capacity for evil. Well, and again, you know, it started with it can't happen here and we have a moral duty to resist yeah. it. Yeah. And it ended with space juice. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, I think the moral lesson that uh, the creator of this whole series put into it. Yeah. Um, again, that that's kind of my whole point, you know, yeah. it goes from, from that yeah. to that. It, 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 it completely flips. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's, uh, <sighs> let's let people get out of here. So, yeah. uh, where yeah. can folks find you on social media? Let's skip the books for this week. Cause uh, okay. I, yeah, we were running, running long. Um, I can be found at Mr. Underscore Blaylock on TikTok. I can be found at EH Blaylock on Twitter. Uh, we collectively can be found on the interwebs at www, excuse me, dot uh, geekhistorytime.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have found us uh, because you're listening to us right now. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, you've suffered through all of this up to this point with the <laughs> with the great psychic weight of what has been dropped on you. Uh, so, so I encourage you, please, uh, through whatever service you've, you've found us, whether it's the, uh, Apple podcast app or, uh, Stitcher, please take the time to subscribe. Please take the time to give us the review of five stars that, you know, we deserve, um, and, you know, let other people know about us. Um, we collectively can be found on Twitter at geek history time there. And, uh, where sir, can you be found? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, uh, at duh harmony two H's in the middle. Um, and of course, November, uh, 4th and December 2nd, you can find me at Luna's in Sacramento slinging puns, bring $10 and proof of vaccination. Come see a much lighter side of me than we've seen these last several weeks. Infinitely. Yes. Yeah. Well, for geek history of time, I'm Damien Harmony and I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time. Keep rolling 20s.